0: and get started today, we're going to have a couple ground rules, all right, a couple ground rules. You don't look at your neighbor, all right, don't look at your neighbor, don't care who they're with, Don't don't look at your neighbor, don't elbow anybody, all right, we're going to be talking about relational vampires, and sure, we had some fun with it with the Halloween theme and stuff like that, kind of having fun with it, but I mean, you know these people, you interact with relational vampires all of the time. These are the needy, the overly needy people. These are the controlling or manipulating people. These are the critical people. These are the hypocrites. These are, these are people that we interact with all the time. And the whole reason we're doing this series around this time of the year is because in just a couple weeks, in just a few weeks, you're going to be attending parties with, eating dinner with, Serving with, spending time with, relational vampires. You have people in your family, at your work, that fit the bill of these people. Now again, we're not looking around, we're not doing anything else, right? But at at the end of the day, we do. We interact with these people all the time. And there's a grand question that it comes as a Jesus follower, how we're supposed to handle that. Because these people, as you saw in the, the tagline, I mean, they, they drain the life out of us. They suck the life out of us. How do we interact with those? These are the people we like to call in the church um, extra grace required. You guys know what I'm talking about? A little extra grace are required for these individuals. We don't love them less, we just need a little bit more grace when we do that. Now, before we start, I want to kind of set this up and do an exercise together. Um, so let me ask, and we'll see how, how good we are with this. Um, so if you are on the board or you're a member of the A team, you can't answer this question. Solid? All right. What is the mission and vision of New Post Church? Can anybody tell me? It's three things. Love God. What's the other one? And what's the last one? Make a difference, right? So we exist to love God, love people, and make a difference. That's the whole reason why the church is here, right? Um, now, we do. An, I think we do a pretty good job of loving God. I mean, I think we all are constantly striving to have a better relationship with him. We want to do that. And let's be honest, loving God is pretty easy. Who doesn't love a loving God? Who doesn't love a God who sent his only son to, to die for you and I? Who 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 doesn't love a God that gave things up for you and who wants to help you in different parts of your life. Like loving God's not the hard part. And if we're being honest, the end part, making a difference, that's not super difficult either. We all want to make a difference. Nobody ever is comfortable leaving the area that they're at worse than when they got there. Nobody likes leaving a job feeling like, oh man, I just hurt a lot of people there and I don't care right? Nobody's comfortable doing, uh, you know, doing this in the family. I, like, I hope people aren't around me, and I just don't drain them. Like, I want to make a difference. I want to make the world or place, the area I'm at, better than before, right? I mean, we, we, that one's not difficult either. But that middle one's kind of hard, ain't it? If we're just being real, that love people part is the hardest part of the vision of the church. And even so, when somebody, it's it's so hard, when That person might be one of those relational vampires because let's be honest, the easiest thing for us to do is to treat them how they treat us, right? And the easy—I mean, that's the easiest thing to do. It's also super, super easy to treat them the way that we think they deserve to be treated. Well, you said this, so I'm going to behave this way. Or you act this way, so I'm going to handle it this particular way. But hear me out. If if you're a Jesus follower, you don't have that luxury. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, you can treat people however you want to a degree. And there's, you know, Christ doesn't have any authority over your life and, and the Bible and all that stuff. And we don't have any authority over your life. And you're just hey, coming along for the TED talk today. But if you are a Jesus follower, then this is more than that. And you can't just write it off and pretend and say, I can do, behave, and act however I want when somebody says or does one of these things. Because again, this is the hardest, one of the hardest parts, in my opinion, of. of of uh, Christianity. Loving God's not hard. That's easy. Loving, loving you know, sin, the sin thing is hard, but loving God's not hard. Making a difference, that's not hard. Loving people, that one gets tough. That one is tough. One of my friends, he has a funny thing he says sometimes. He says, I hate people. I love people. And he'll say it like right in the same sentence, like right there. And, and it's true that some of us interact and behave and feel that way. And we got to figure out the question. And we got to answer this question. This is the question we're going to answer over the next four weeks. And this is the whole reason we're here. We don't want to figure out how to tolerate these people. Okay? We're not, this, this is not a tolerance thing. As a Christian, we're not called to tolerate people. We're called to love people. Not tolerate them. That's so so far beneath what Christ set as the example and what Christ set as the standard when you call yourself a Jesus follower. So the question we're going to ask is not how do I live with these people, not how do I survive Thanksgiving with these people. That's not what we're going to ask. The question we're going to ask is how can I love them well? How can I love them well? Well, given the position of their life, given the things they're going through, given what I don't know, and given that I know, my Heavenly Father, and this might make you frustrated, sent His Son to die for them and loves them just as much as He does me. So how can I love them well, not tolerate them? So that's the question we're going to be pursuing today. And the people, the, the folks we're going to talk about today are going to be people that we've experienced before. Um... In fact, I'm going to ask rhetorical questions, so don't raise your hand. But how many of you guys have, have had a needy person in your life? Like an overly needy person in your life? Remember, don't look at your neighbor. Don't look around, okay? These are the people that always need another dollar. They always need your attention. Okay? They either always need, hey, they need more money for whatever, or they just always need more of your attention. They need you to validate them because they're not secure enough in who they are. They're the ones that always have the problem. They always have an issue, and they're the ones that you run into, and you're like, hey, how's your day going, man? And you just know that there's going to be a need that comes right along with it, and they do it consistently over and over and over and over again to the place when you get to the spot, and you're like, I don't even really want to ask you how your day's going. Because I know you're just going to say it's going bad, and you need A, B, C, and D. Like, you know the playbook. They've run it a dozen times. You're aware of what they're going to do and how they're going to behave. And if we're honest, if we're being completely honest with ourselves, and we should because we're in church, right, That dealing with folks like that, it's exhausting, isn't it? I mean, we feel drained after we spend time with people like that. We want to either avoid interaction with them altogether, or we want to limit it as much as we can. But as we begin this series, and as we begin today, I just want to outline this one thing. This is going to be the attitude that permeates the entire series. It's not our place to judge, it's our place to love. Let me just go ahead and repeat that again. It's not our place to judge, it's our place to love. I'm gonna go into more of that in a second. But the tension that we have when it comes to dealing with overly needy people is do we help or do we not? What do we do? How much of myself do I give? How much money do I give? How do I interact with these people? I mean, what's the best way to do this? I mean, it, because the tension is Jesus called us to be salt and light. So we preserve and provide and love, and they're like, we're supposed to do those things. Uh, he commanded us to care for the poor, the widows, and the orphans, the folks that can't do for themselves, um, but he also was comfortable shaking his feet off in some places. Uh, so where's the balance? And we know that people will take advantage and put us in a bad position from their decision. So how do we do that? How do we help without hurting? Before we get started, there's two Siri, I ain't talking to you. Maybe you need Jesus, too. Turn it on. Apple needs to hear some Christ. All right. They relational vampires, too. All right, so there's two, there's two things that I want to address before that we really understand so we're all on the same playing field. There's two different types of ways you can help. You can provide relief. You can provide relief and restoration. Okay? Relief, relief is immediate and temporary assistance, okay? These are flood victims, right? This is Hurricane Ian that just came through. These are individuals, these are catastrophic health situations, uh, a house burned down, something horrible happened. Those things are moments and times in which relief makes the most sense. It's a temporary thing, most of the time, out of their hand, and it's a response to, to help them get where they need to be. Most of the time, these are temporary assistance. Can't provide relief all the time. Um, And then there's restoration. There's restoration. And this focuses on working with people to restore them to their God-given purpose. That's what restoration is. That's what restoration is. That is, we want the person who's an addict, we want them to become clean. Now again, we're not judging. We're loving. We want to help them through that process. Somebody who's emotionally insecure, we want to help them become somebody who is secure in who they are. Uh, Somebody who's broke, they ain't got no money, we don't want to just give them a handout. We want to help them develop a budget and start living with margin. Restoration is about taking the individual and where they are, and we want to get them back to their God-given purpose, because we know it's not God's purpose for people to be addicted to, to cocaine. We know that God doesn't want people to be making bad money decisions consistently where they don't live with any margin in their life. We know that God doesn't want people to build their image on everybody else and being emotionally insecure. God wants them to be secure in who he created them in. So our goal as Christians, as we interact with these relationships, is to help move somebody from the position of not in God's purpose and help them get over to the place where they need to be. And as Christ followers, we restore, okay? We help and assist in the restore. We don't always provide relief. We do provide relief sometimes. Here at the church, we provide relief often, in fact, financially with people who need it, and we've got a process that that happens in. So relief's not bad. Relief's just not long-term. It's not bad, it's just not long-term. And nowhere do you see this play out better than in the story of, in Acts with Peter and John. Now, this is going to be in Acts chapter 3. It's right after the day of Pentecost. So the Holy Spirit has come on in power inside of the disciples, and then they've gone out. Peter's preached that message in all of Acts 2, and then after that it goes on to tell us at the end of Acts 2 that the breaking of bread happened together with the disciples and the apostles, and then thousands were added to the number that day. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1, so you guys can follow along with this story. And if you've been part of Sunday school, you know this story, right? If you've been part of the church for any amount of time, you know this story. I'm going to put a little bit of a different view on it than your traditional view to help you see what we do sometimes with individuals who may need something. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth... Was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg for those from those going into the temple courts. Now, there were three places in the ancient world where people would beg. They would beg on the side of the road, the highways, because there were lots of people there. So if you just got to the highway and you beg there, more people meant more opportunity for you to get money. So they would beg there. They would beg in the rich neighborhoods because that they had more money. So the theory was that the individuals who were rich would be more willing to give money. So they would beg in those neighborhoods. And then the other part is they would beg at the temple. And they would beg at the temple because those religious people, they're supposed to be super loving, giving, and caring. So that's what they expected from the religious people there. And if you pay attention, there's an important part of this story that we breeze right over sometimes. And this man was born lame from birth. So he had a legitimate need. It was a very legitimate need, okay? He had a very legitimate need. He couldn't work a job. So relief would have worked for a bit. And that's what he was going after day, after day, after day, after day. And listen to me. The people that you are thinking about right now, because we're all thinking of somebody. I know you are, right? You've probably got some people in your head. You've got some thoughts in your mind, right? Those people have a legitimate need. The, the need is a legitimate need. The way we go about helping them changes. And what we can do is provide is try to work with them to provide restoration, not always providing relief. But it's important that before we even get started, that we recognize these individuals have legitimate needs. They need money. They, need, they have health care needs. They, they need a car, right? They need housing. they Emotionally, they need support, right? Anybody that you're thinking about, either whether it's physical or emotional or spiritual, you know and you recognize that that's a legitimate need. The text continues, it says, when Peter saw, or when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Because that was the play he's always run. That's what he does. He, he asks for money. He gets carried by his friends to the temple gate beautiful, which just so you know, we're not really sure where that is. We don't know if it's on, if it's actually going into the, onto the temple mount. We're not sure if maybe that he meant the city. We're not really sure, but so the temple gate, there wasn't one called beautiful that they recognized. This was something in the common language that Luke and his writers understood and his readers understood, but it was lost in antiquity. So we're not really sure what gate specifically he's talking about, but we know that this beggar was brought to the gate and as he's sitting there at the gate, he sees Peter and John, and he does exactly what he's done every single time. He looks back and he says, I need, I need help. Legitimate need. Now remember, this is important because in the ancient world, in the first century, that was what a man's worth was. How, what, how much he could work and where he could work and the type of job he had. That was the value of a man in those days. And if he couldn't work because he was lame or he had one issue or another, he was useless. Throw him away. He's never going to get married. He's never going to have kids. He's never going to be a uh, member of society. So he's just going to have his family and friends pick him up, bring him to the temple, and then he's just going to beg there. And that's going to be his life. And hopefully he gets enough money to buy food from the marketplace, and then they're going to take him back the next day. That was the life of somebody who couldn't work. The value of the individual was wrapped up in what they could do. Not a whole lot different from today. The value of an individual today does seem to be in what they do. But this man is asking for relief. This was the norm for him. It was consistent. It was just the way it always worked. Now Peter looked at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his full attention, expecting To get something from them. This man thinking like, yeah, boy, i got a couple of these guys going into the temple and I got their full attention. Look at me. They're about to throw me a 50 spot. That's how he talked back in those days too. Um, That's in the the message version. Um, But the man wanted money, right? What did he want? He wanted money. What would have been so easy to give him? Money, Right? And, I mean, tossing him some loose change, that would have been simple. That, that's easy. There's no problem there. In fact, we don't mind giving relief today nowadays sometimes either, do we? Because that's easy. I mean, if we're just being completely honest, if we've got money, it's real easy providing relief. And then it feels good, right? You just kind of give them the money, and you're like, oh, man, yes. I just, God, I'm so good. I just gave the money. To God. Lord, did you see me give that to that poor person? Oh, I'm so good. Did you notice that, God. Right? I mean, we don't say it like that, but I mean, that's kind of what happens on the inside of us sometimes. And, and the whole point here is Peter is not going to do that. Peter's going to do something completely different. Peter says, Silver and gold I do not have. Peter said, I broke too, homie. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. Instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Now, hold on. This is just totally not part of the sermon, but I I would be irresponsible if I breezed by this point. This man was lame and was not allowed in the temple. There's a reason he's sitting on the outside. He's sitting on the outside because he wasn't allowed on the inside because he was broken. And in those days, you had to be pure to go into the temple. You had all sorts of washings and all sorts of other things. So this individual is waiting outside of the temple. He gets touched by the Holy Spirit. He gets healed. He gets picked up. And then he's able to go into the place that he wasn't able to go before. It's God saying right there in that moment, it's almost like Jesus says, hey, I make those decisions on who goes into the presence of God now, not the temple. So, and that's not even related to the sermon, but my, I get goosebumps every time I think about that. Jesus says, my decision is what matters. I decide who's worthy and unworthy. Now, back to our original point. Peter didn't give him a handout. That would have been easy. We talked about that. It's so easy to give money, right? Especially if you have it to give. And it's real easy to give money to meet a need. It's real easy to give some of yourself to meet a need. But instead of that, instead of giving him a handout, he gave him a hand up. And when it comes to loving, needy people well, because that's the question we're asking. Not how do we tolerate them, not how do we live with them, not how do we just survive them, that's not the question that we're trying to answer. How do we love them well? Sometimes, it means we have to give them what they need, not what they want. We have to give folks what they need, not what they want. This man wanted money. He needed a miracle. But he wanted money. He didn't even know anything else was possible. And believe it or not, some of the needy people in your life, they don't even know that a miracle is possible. They sit back and think, that happens to other people. That doesn't happen to me. Emotional security, that doesn't happen to me. That happens to my friends. Uh, You know, money help that doesn't happen to me. Figuring out a budget and running a budget, that doesn't happen to me. That happens to other people, those super responsible people over there. I can't do that. This man didn't even know he needed a miracle, or for him it was so far out of reach, he couldn't even think about it. But he needed a miracle, and Peter gave him what he needed. Sometimes we need to take that principle when it comes to dealing with overly needy people. You want $300 for your car payment? Hold on, brother. I just saw you buy an Apple Watch, some Yeezys, and spend over $100 on Minecraft, dude. You don't need $300. You need a budget, right? It'd be easy to give them $300. Give it to them. Send them away. Go away. You're annoying to me. I don't want to be around you. I can't stand it, right? Like, it's really easy to do that. But that's not what they need. That's just giving them what they want. You, or the, you know the friend that's like, they need you to validate them all the time. And it's like, no, 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 no. You don't need me to validate you. You you need to love and accept who God created you to be. And you need to sit in the validation of Christ. You need to recognize your identity and who God created you to be. And you need to be secure in that individual. You don't need the praise of man. You You don't need me and our friend group to somehow validate you in order for you to operate. That's not true. Now relief is just immediately saying, "Yeah, absolutely. Hey, you, you, you know, whatever." But that's not that's not restoration. That doesn't help the individual. Or you go, "No, no, no." This individual's like, oh, "I got to spend more time there. I just need to be around you all the time." No, you don't. You need to develop your own identity and stop trying to copy those around you and be happy in the way God created you. We have to give people what they need, not what they want. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the, temple call, at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement in what had happened to them. Now, there's a danger when it comes to helping people, and there's a situation that comes up in all of us that we just have to be aware of. When this happens and it comes to helping people, we have the potential to set ourselves up as the savior of the situation. And we can't do that because we put ourselves in a position and we put ourselves at a place that we were never meant to be and a role that we were never meant to fill. We can help. Notice restoration is I'm helping an individual. can't help somebody don't want don't want it. You just can't. You're helping them restore them to their potential and their purpose. And then notice that it was the power of Christ that restored this man not Peter's work. Peter did this. Come on, dude. That was it. Peter didn't do anything else but that. That is all Peter did. We don't have any record of Peter even saying a prayer. He didn't even go, "Lord, heal this man. Amen." He we don't it just he bent down, grabbed a hold of him, picked him up. The power came from God. The power came from what he did. Peter was simply the conduit. Peter was the obedient person that came and walked around. And listen to me. When we partner with God in a restorative work, we aren't the Savior. We step aside. We let God and the Holy Spirit, we let the Holy Spirit do His thing. We step aside. We don't set ourselves up as the Savior. Because if God wants to do a work, He'll do it with or without you. And when it happens... When it happens, God will get all the glory. Peter didn't get any of it, nor did he need it. It wasn't him. Just the same way when you help a needy individual or an overly needy person, it's not you. Sure, you're you're being obedient, and you're working in the process, but don't set yourself up as the Savior, because that's only going to hurt you, and it's going to hurt them. You can't be the savior. You are simply a conduit connected to the power source that they need to survive. And there are times when we need to provide relief, but in that same way, in the relief, you are not the savior. You are connected to the power source. And now this is hard to do, especially when it's somebody that we love, because we want to provide relief. We want to immediately help them right then in that moment. And restoration sometimes takes time. Now, for this one, it didn't take Peter any time. Peter just reached down, grabbed the man, he got up and walked, and that was that. But sometimes, as how many of you know this, it takes so much more than that. Sometimes it takes weeks, months, years to restore somebody and get them back where they need to be. But if we're being honest, most of the time, relief When it's out of the proper context, simply enables the problem. It allows the problem to continue. And then we really run the risk of setting ourselves up as a Savior, because then it's here's a little bit of money, come back to me. Here's a little bit of emotional help, but then you've got to come back to me for it. And we have got to make sure that when we provide relief, we do it in the proper place. Now, listen this is not a pass to be mean. Okay? It's not like, I'm just going to give them good old tough love. Nope, you're just being a butthead. Don't do that. Okay? You don't need, it's not a pass to be mean. It's not a pass to do any of that. It's just that we want to do something a little bit different. And when you're unsure of how to handle a situation, I've got, I've got a, actually an amazing amazing tip. If you're with me, say, I want it. You want the tip? You want to figure it out? You want to know how to do this? It is, so, it, is, it is groundbreaking. When you're not sure whether you need to help with relief or restoration, pray. That's, that's the real deal, y'all. You ain't going to get that anywhere else. Okay? And then and the offering plate already went. So, see, that's how you know it's real, right? So, like, just pray about it. Seriously. Take it under prayer. If, and don't, don't give. You want to give strategically. You don't want to just say, yeah to everything that comes along cuz then you're probably not being responsible either. But if you're not sure, hey God, is this one of those moments where I need to provide relief or is this a moment where I need to provide restoration? You should pause and take it under advisement and take it to prayer. And sometimes loving sometimes loving means saying no. Remember, we partner with God to help restore people. We aren't the power source. And sometimes it's just not going to work. Sometimes it's hard in the moment. Sometimes people need to be told no. And Here's the other thing that we got to do. Sometimes we got to let people feel their consequences. Paul says it best in his letter to the church in Galatia. And it's a principle that, we, that he references time and time again associated with giving, serving, and loving, which is what we want to do all the time. And again, before we make any of these decisions, you've got, you got to take it to prayer. You've got to figure out where you sit in this. You've got to pray about it. You've got to get a wise counsel of godly individuals who will help you figure it out when it comes to especially our family dynamic or our work dynamic, you know, that coworker that's just, oh, you can't stand to be around because all they do is want, 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 want. Right. If you're trying to figure out what to do, you've got to take it in prayer first. But there are times when we have to let people feel their consequences. And Paul says it like this. This is, this is towards the end of his letter to the Galatian church. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. And then here's the principle. And he repeats it over and over and over again. Find it in the Old Testament. Find it in the New Testament. A man reaps what he sows. Sometimes what people need is not you to save them from their circumstances. Sometimes what people need is to let them feel their consequences. Leah and I, we do this with the kids sometimes. We do this with the kids. We aren't giving out punishments. We don't hand out punishments really that much anymore unless it's something where, like, you hit your brother or something. But that's about to be a consequence. I'm going to let you guys throw down and you keep it up. <laughs> but the, the way that we do it a lot of times is we just explain that decision is going to lead to this consequence. And that's not going to be good. Right now, Elijah refused to wear a coat, period. And that, that dude runs around in shorts all the time. And he wanted to go to football practice the other day. It was right before the hurricane, and right after the hurricane hit, and it got really cold and rainy. You guys remember that horrible time that I think was the closest part to hell, right? It's terrible. I hate cold weather. Um, But it was really cold, and, and we were out at the football field, and I tried to explain to him, it's cold. Put your jacket on he wouldn't do it. His friends were wearing jackets, his friends were layered up. He wouldn't do it. So he is literally, he's playing quarterback and he's got his shirt over his knees, freezing in between the and he's wearing a t-shirt and shorts, okay? And he is freezing to death. And I am constantly like we'd call the play, he'd hand the ball off and then like drop back down, right? And I was like, "Bro, what is wrong with you? We finished the whole practice. He wouldn't wear his coat, finished the whole practice and then afterwards, the very next day, you know what he did?" He wore a coat. He had memory. He had memory. I did it again with them, with Elijah on Friday. He had an oatmeal packet. He was just being crazy and silly. Takes his oatmeal and he's just throwing it. And I was like, You ought to stop. And he didn't care. He's like, Having fun. Throws it on the ground. Pops oatmeal all over the floor. Guess who didn't clean that up? Right here. He spent the morning trying to clean and vacuum and get the, this oatmeal mess cleaned up. Because I want him to learn in his consequences. I want Grayson to learn. I want the kids to learn in their consequences. And in fact, don't you do that with your kids too? Don't you let them feel the consequences sometimes? And believe it or not, there are times when God is teaching in consequences And where he's allowing circumstances because the individual has ignored enough, refused enough, or maybe don't, maybe this is the only way that he's going to be able to communicate with them. And the circumstance or the consequence is important because it's part of the teaching process. And if we come in and ride in on the white horse all the time, we set ourselves up as a savior at first, and that's a problem that we talked about. But then the other thing we do if we're not careful, we prevent them from growing. you, You know parents that don't let their kids feel consequences. You see it. And their kids are just reckless. And you're like, what's happening? Kids don't ever get to feel the consequences. And let's be honest. There's been times in your life when God has spoken the loudest, and it's been because of a decision you made there was a time when uh when I was 21 20 years old my car broke down I finally had this GMC Jimmy they don't even make them anymore but it was uh, 1994 it was a nice car um but it finally broke down on me like just <laughs> broke down and uh and I needed to get another car And I was working around D.C. area, so I was like, man, I need another car. But I was young, I didn't have the credit, and I didn't have the money to buy another car. So I asked my mom and dad, like, hey, mom and dad, will you guys help me? And the best thing they did was tell me no. Because they said, no, 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 Brandon, if we do this, then we're constantly giving to you. And they knew that. And they said, it's your responsibility. You need to go out. You need to, we're not even going to co-sign on the loan. And at first, your boy was sour. I was like, you ain't even going to sign? Why not? My interest rate's going to be high. Mom, dad, payment, my, come on, sign, guys. And my dad looks at he, he said, we're not going to do that, son. We love you. We're here for you. We'll help you. You know, if you need help with anything, we'll help you. But we're not going to do that. You need to be part, you need to do it. And you need to understand. And you need to recognize, son, that you've been in the Marine Corps almost two years now and you ain't saved a lick of that money. You've been spending it all on booze and parties, dude. And now that your car broke down, mommy and daddy aren't coming in on a white horse to save you. And it taught me so much in that moment and in that circumstance. And yeah, I was mad. I was mad. I was frustrated. Come on, guys. But I learned. They taught me. I learned in the consequences. The people you interact with, sometimes you've got to let them feel it. Maybe they need to lose that job if they're always going to be late. Maybe if you're their alarm clock, maybe they need to. Maybe if they're doing poorly in school and they're partying all the time, maybe they need to lose the scholarship. Maybe if they're not paying rent, you know, maybe you need to let them get booted. You need to let that credit card company come after them. Maybe you need to let those things happen, because if we constantly rescue, we remove the space that God could be teaching us. And again, before you get on your high horse, you're needy too. I'm needy. I bet if I could document all your prayers, they would be God, I. God, I. But our Father is so loving. He invites us to have those conversations. He invites us to do that. We were needy. We were, we were so needy in the beginning. We didn't even know the type of how to fix the relationship with, Christ, with God. But then Christ stepped in and did the thing that only he could do. And again, you're needy. I'm needy. So let's have grace and love those who are in these circumstances well. We give them what they need, not what they want. And there are moments, and these are hard, where we have to let them feel the circumstances. So, as we pray, I want you to pray this week. And I want you to, to really, because we're going to be running into these, these people. And I know that it puts a label on them. I'm not trying to dehumanize them. It's just the only way that I can put words around the experience that we're all having. When we interact with these people, remember, that's a creation of God. That he loved them so much that he died for them. So before we attach labels and remove and say, I don't want to, I'm not dealing with, yada, 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 remember, that's one of his That's one of His. And we were called to love them well. So, as we close, let's pray. Father, thank You so much. Thank You for who You are. Thank You for the truth that we are all needy. We are all needy individuals. And we're folks that have... I mean, God, if you break open our prayer journals, you're going to see I, 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 need, 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 want, want, want. God, thank you for your patience with us. Thank you, Lord, that sometimes you don't rescue us from our situations. Sometimes you let us feel our consequences. And, Lord, you always give us what we need, not necessarily what we want. So Heavenly Father, I pray that for all of us that are going to interact with somebody who's overly needy this holiday season, Lord, I pray that you would equip us, empower us to love them well. to Give them what they need, not what they want. And then, Lord, give us the courage because that's what it takes when we let someone get hit by their circumstances and by their consequences. God, If it's that moment, speak to us and let us know, hey, back off. I'm doing something. I'm teaching. I'm guiding. And I just need you in support. So, Lord, would you speak to us this week when we interact with those people? Father, we love you. We give you all the praise. And everyone said, amen.